you have your Bible with you, return with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah. We're going to be at the start in chapter 1, then we're going to jump to chapter 3. So just giving you a heads up about that. Go to Jonah chapter 1 and hold your place there for just a minute. Jonah chapter 1, hold your place there for just a minute. Uh, As you'll recall in this message series, we are focusing in on God's relentless love. God loves us because he created us, and God loves all people because he created human beings, even sinners, even those who turn their backs on him, God loves us. Uh, And if you're a believer in Christ and you've been disobedient to him, the message of this book is God pursues you. He loves you so much. He pursues you to bring you back to obedience so you can participate with him in his great work and in what he's doing. He wants that healthy relationship with you. A lot of times Christians grasp that God loves us enough to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We get that. Uh, The Bible says uh, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that's the first thing that God got through to you with, that he loved you so much he sent Christ to die on the cross for you. We believe that, we know that, we understand that. But sometimes we forget, not only does God love us enough to send Christ to die for us, God loves us too much to let us go. Though you are a Christian, sometimes you're disobedient, you turn your back on him, and you may be in this room and in this service this morning, and you know you've been disobedient. You're not doing what God wants you to do. You're not reading his word and following his will. You're not submitting yourself to him, being transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ. All these things, you've been disobedient to God in some way, and maybe you are right now. The message of the book of Jonah is God loves you too much, too much to let you go, to let you disappear into the void of your disobedience as if he doesn't care about you. God wants you back. God wants you to come home and participate with him in the great work of God. God wants you to grow in your relationship with him. God wants you to have a healthy relationship with your God. God wants you to experience the power of God in your life when you trust him. He loves you too much to let you go. If you've been with us in this series, you know the book of Jonah. Now, if you haven't been with us in this series, and I say the book of Jonah, the first thing you think of is the man who was swallowed by a fish. And that's true. But what we've learned in this series is that's actually a minimal part of the story. It's just really a, 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 a turning point in the story, but it, it's not the, the main part of the story. It, it's God using his creation to discipline his wayward prophet Jonah. Uh, the story opens with God calling Jonah suddenly. God just shows up. We're not introduced to Jonah. Uh, God just calls Jonah the prophet. And he's been a faithful prophet to this point. Jonah is a Hebrew prophet in the northern kingdom at the time of Samaria. And God approaches Jonah and calls him to leave Samaria and go further north, about 500 miles, to an Assyrian city called Nineveh. Now, we've learned in this study, the Assyrians were a ruthless and brutal people. They were hated by the Jews. The Israelites at the time despised them, as did most people. But God calls Jonah out of his comfort zone to go to a place he would never visit and preach to a people in his heart he despises. So Jonah does what? He runs the other way. Now to understand where we are in chapter 3, we need to return to that moment in chapter 1. So Jonah chapter 1 and verse 
1, the story opens suddenly like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up, but he didn't get up to go to Nineveh. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now God has preserved the book of Jonah for us in such a way that we can understand Jonah's disobedience and Jonah's restoration. We can understand Jonah's disobedience and Jonah's return to obedience in terms that God makes stark and clear for every believer who comes into this story and into this book. There's no way to miss it. So when we go to chapter 3 and verse 1, which we'll read in just a moment, we see this restoration taking place. Now what's happened in the meantime? Well, as we just read, uh, Jonah flees from God. Now he knows God well enough to know that God is everywhere. So he's not trying to get away from God. He's trying to make himself unavailable to God. So what he does is instead of going 500 miles into Assyria to the city of Nineveh, Jonah books passage on a Phoenician ship in the Mediterranean Sea and tries to sail 2,000 miles to the coast of Spain and a city called Tarshish. He just wants to get himself out of the ministry area so far So far away that God will just pick somebody else or God will give up on the agenda to go preach to the Ninevites, people that Jonah hates. So rather than be uncomfortable preaching and obeying God, he makes himself extremely uncomfortable and inconvenient. A man who likely had never been on a ship in his life gets on a ship in the Mediterranean Sea and sets sail 2,000 miles away on a journey to take him that far away. God does not give up on him. God pursues him. God brings a great storm upon the sea. The God of the book of Jonah is the creator of the universe and the creator of all humanity. And he uses his creation to get Jonah's attention. It terrifies the seasoned Phoenician sailors. They know that there is a deity against them. And Jonah finally confesses that he's the problem. His disobedience is why the one true God of all creation has brought this storm upon them and why everything they have done as sailors to try to mitigate their problem has failed. They need to throw him overboard. And that's what they do. And the Bible says as soon as he hit the water, the storm died down. But then God appointed a great fish. The term translated fish in the book of Jonah means sea creature. But we understand that to be a fish. A fish swallows him up and he spends three days and three nights in the stomach of a great fish. And in chapter 2 we saw how he spent the three days and the three nights in a condensed version, his prayer. And in chapter 2, Jonah spends his time in the darkness, the darkest place, there's no light at all, darkest place you can imagine, crying out to God, reviewing his relationship with God, going through steps of repentance, that is confessing his sin, his failure, his haste to turn away from God, what put him in this position, and then finally he experiences restoration and trust in God. And he says out loud, God, no matter what, no matter what, you are my God. I will serve and worship you and you only. And then chapter 2 ends with God appointing the fish to vomit out Jonah on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah delighted just to be alive that day. 
Now, between that moment and chapter 3 is an undisclosed amount of time, but it would have been enough time for Jonah to go home to Samaria to clean up, thank God, take a shower, whatever he needed to do, get cleaned up, and, and then the Bible suddenly says again almost exactly what we read in chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. And, and bear in mind, by the way, the God does not speak in chapter 2. Only Jonah speaks in chapter 2. It's only him praying and him crying out to God. The next time we hear God speak, this is what God says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. The world's shortest sermon. Verse 5, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. God preserves this for us in such a way we cannot miss it. God's call has not changed. But notice this. God was willing to take a side tour, a, a, a detour with Jonah. God was willing to chase down Jonah to bring him back to obedience. Now we know from the Bible, we know from Scripture, we know from stories in Scripture, and we know from Jesus' own words that God's priority is to make disciples of all nations. God's priority is to reach the lost. God's priority for Jonah was to preach to Nineveh, people who did not know the one true God. And yet God was so concerned about Jonah's obedience, God was willing to take time out to go get Jonah. Bring him back and start over. Just like the scripture says, this is Jonah's second chance. His second chance at obedience. God called to him, came to him a second time with the exact same, almost the exact same declaration and call. Here's what you need to do. This hasn't changed, Jonah. This hasn't changed. It could be that you are the believer that needs a second chance at obedience. You need a second chance. You've turned your back on God. You've walked away. You've sinned against him. You know you're a believer in Christ, and yet you've been disobedient. And, and now you know, God, can I get a second chance? The good news is God has not let you go. The reason you've been miserable is God's been after you. The reason you haven't forgot about God, forgot about church, forgot about the good days when you were obedient is that God has not let you forget. God has been after you. And when you turn and face him, you will find that God will bring you back to obedience. God will bring you back to a second chance to obey. So what do you do? If that's you this morning, what do you do in your second chance of obedience? What do you do when you come back to him? And this is your, this is your next step, your next time. Well, not surprisingly, a second step a chance at obedience is pretty much like every chance at obedience, but we need to be reminded what it's like to be restored to obedience and, we need, and what we need to do. So this morning, we're going to go back to the story for just a moment, and I want you to look with me at three practices, three practices to undertake in your second chance of obedience. When God gives you a second chance to obey, 
This is what you do. This is what you do. First of all, practice faithful obedience. Practice faithful obedience. In other words, simply trust God. Trust God. The first time out, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we're told that God, the word of God came to Jonah. God called Jonah to go to preach to the Ninevites because their evil has come up before me. That is, he has seen the evil in their midst and he cares about them because they are his creation and wants Jonah to preach to them in hopes they will repent of that evil. But rather than trust God with the outcome, Jonah turns and flees the other way. The important point here is trust and obedience always go together. If you're obedient to God, you're trusting God. If you're trusting God, you're obedient to God because they're always going together. If you read the Bible and you trust God's word, you apply it. You're obedient to it. You express your trust through your obedience. They always go together. In fact, we even have a a, a, a hymn that we love in which we sing that. You know what it is. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We ought to turn it around and say, if you don't trust and you disobey, you're going to be miserable. Because that's the flip side of that song. Trust and obey always goes together. Restoration, coming back to obedience, means coming back to trusting God. Now, what that means is you trust God for what you cannot see and what you do not understand. That's what that means. I've talked a lot about obedience through this series. I'm talking about it this morning. Let me bring a little clarity to what we mean about obedience in the first place. Because in our culture, obey and being obedient and obedience bring negative connotations. People don't want to be told to be obedient to the law, to God, to parents, to whomever. They don't want to be told that. That sounds restrictive. But the Bible teaches that obedience to God is actually what brings us freedom. It's not restrictive. It brings freedom and independence. When we're obedient to God, we're trusting God for who He is and what He promises. And when we're obedient to His Word, we get to find out that He always fulfills His promises. We find out how much He loves us. Through that trust and obedience, we build a healthy relationship with God. Practice faithful obedience. Practice faithful obedience. And you'll restore that walk with him. Always trusting him for what comes next. Here's another truth of scripture to make sure we get and understand. God always knows what's on the other side of your trust and obedience. God always knows why it is he's calling you out and asking you to do what he's asking you to do. You don't see it. So you waffle and you hesitate. But God already knows what's out there. And that's why your trust and your obedience are so important because God knows what's on the other side. He knows what He wants you to participate in and get to see Him do in your life and the lives of other people. God already knows that. The more faithful you are in your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work. It's just a basic truth. The more faithful you are in your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work. Author and very popular speaker, daughter of Billy and Ruth Graham, Anne Graham Lotz, tells a story that she used to go to UNC Chapel Hill football games with her husband, Danny Lotz. Uh, and Mr. Lotz was six feet, seven, uh, six feet seven inches tall, stood out in a crowd. And she said she remembers when she would show up at the games, the crowds would be going in, and she would just hold on to his hand and watch for his head in front of her to get through those crowds. She said, the only way I could make it from the car to the seat 
was if I held to my husband's hand and trusted him to get me there. And then she writes, my hope and my prayer is that 10 years from now, I can say I was faithful to God step by step. Because she says that's the Christian life. Step by step. Trust and obey. Let him guide you. Let him lead you. Why? Because he knows what's out there. He knows what he's calling you to participate in and what he wants you to experience with him. Our problem as Christians is often that we, we hesitate and we substitute in our obedience. Uh, rather than trust God and obey God, uh, we say, okay, God, uh, you know, God wants me, for example, God put it on my heart, I need to be in a Bible study or a discipleship group. Well, God, that's too time-consuming. Remember, we, we make ourselves unavailable. That's what this disobedience is, making yourself unavailable. God, that's too, too time-consuming, so I'll just make sure I show up at church uh, maybe twice a month instead of once a month and, and online of two or three times, and that'll satisfy that. The problem is that yearning to be in a small group Bible study will never go away. Why? Because God's after you. And you're being disobedient. You're being disobedient because you don't trust him with what he's asking you to do. The more faithful you are in your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work through you and in your life. Secondly, practice prompt obedience. Practice prompt obedience. Here it is, the more immediate you are in your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work in your life and to use you. The more immediate you are in your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work. You grow in that healthy relationship. Chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, both underscore the action of Jonah. In chapter 1, Jonah is quick to disobey, to get away, to make himself unavailable. He is quick to disobey. In chapter 3, he offsets that. He is quick to obey. He goes immediately in the direction that God actually calls him to go. Not the one he wants to do, not, not, not the other direction. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't sit around and negotiate with God. Maybe there's another way to do this. Can you send somebody else? And I'll come along behind them after they preach the Nineveh. None of that. He just goes. He just goes. It's just a very simple principle. Be prompt in your obedience. Once you know what God wants you to do, do it. Do it. You say, well, Pastor Bob, how do I know? Well, the first way is to make sure you know your Bible. God's will is, rever is revealed in his word. He's not hiding it from you. God's will is revealed in his word. Then God, the Holy Spirit, will speak to your heart about how he wants to, you to apply that in your life. When, when the Bible tells that, says that we are all witnesses, we're all to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you say, God, yes, I trust you, I'll be obedient to that, then God will show you who he wants you to trust, who he wants you to share the gospel with. That's how God works. But it's your job and my job to say, I'm ready, I will go, you tell me when, where, and I'll go. Prompt obedience. Now, there's a couple other reasons that prompt, immediate obedience is so very, very important. The first one is, as we see in the story of Jonah, God's timing is everything. God's timing is everything. You and I don't see that far ahead. God knows what's on the other side of your trust and your obedience. You don't see that, but God knows in his timing where he wants to put you, how he wants to use you, what, you're gonna, what, what, what relationship you're going to engage in. His timing 
is everything. The, the second reason that promptness is so important in our obedience is that the more you lag, the more you try to negotiate and the more you drift into disobedience. Pay attention to this. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Just ask the parents in this room. You ask your child to do something and they do it partly. Did they obey you? You ask them to do something right now and they say, I'll do it tomorrow. Did they obey you? No. So what do you do? You impose upon them parental guidelines and you explain to them who's actually in charge of the household and what may transpire if they don't obey when you ask them to. Partial obedience with God is not obedience at all. Negotiating, hesitating, lagging behind, waiting for the next better thing that you like better. I'd rather do that, God. Let's, let's do that. No. When you know what God wants you to do, do it then. It's in God's timing, and it prevents you from coming up with the excuses not to obey. And the best part of all is you will get to see the outcome of trusting God enough to obey what He says. He knows what's on the other side of your obedience. Don't you want to get there and find out what it is? And find out what He's planned for you to participate in? So in your second chance of obedience, uh, practice faithful obedience, Practice prompt obedience. The more immediate your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work. Then last, practice complete obedience. Practice complete obedience. Not part way, but complete. Don't substitute something else in there. Practice complete obedience. The story intentionally imposes on us two things. First, a little bit of difference between God's call in chapter 1 and God's call in chapter 3. Did you see this in chapter 1? God calls Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. God gives him a reason. But in chapter 3, he says, and preach the message that I tell you. Still go, still preach, but when you get there, you're going to preach what I tell you to preach. And only what I tell you to preach. Very specific God is in this. And then the Bible says, now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. The term translated great does not mean significant. It refers to the size of the city. Now, for cities in our time, Nineveh was not especially large by the greater cities in our, in our, in our world, but it was very large for their time. It was roughly four times the size of Samaria, where Jonah had come from and what his hometown he was most familiar with. Verse 4, so Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. And as we read and as we'll see next week, the people responded immediately. But notice what Jonah did not do. Jonah did not negotiate the message with God. He didn't say that might hurt their feelings. They might not like it. And he didn't show up at this huge city that would take three days to walk around. He didn't show up and say, God, I'm just going to stand in one place. I'll preach from here and everybody else can spread the word. No, because his job was complete obedience. 
His job was to preach to all the people in the city of Nineveh, and that meant he had to hike the city. That's what he would do. And the days before megaphones and microphones, word did spread by word of mouth. It would have spread very rapidly throughout the city. But in order to communicate it in God's timing, he had to trust God, he had to be obedient, and he had to go through the whole city. That was God's plan, God's purpose for him, and that was God's call for him. Complete obedience. Do we waffle on this at times? Of course we do. I'll give you one or two good examples. God puts it on your heart to go on a mission trip. Pastor Mike stands up here and he says, we're putting together a mission trip. We're going to go help the flood victims in Louisiana. We're going to go serve the Roma people in Romania. We're going to go here. We're going to do that. He's putting the team together. And you know that God's put it on your heart. You know that God's put it on your heart to go. You know that you have that yearning to go. And yet... Probably you're a little nervous about it. And you say, God, that makes me uncomfortable. God, I'm not sure about that. God, I'd rather stay here. So God, here's what I'll do. I'll give to someone else who's going. Let them go. Let me stay. Does God leave you alone about that? Of course not. Next time around, what's God going to do? Same call. Because what you're doing is practicing partial obedience and pretending It's complete obedience. That's not how God works. God wants you to see the outcome of your obedience. God wants you to see the other side of trusting him so you can find out how he intends to use you when you are faithful to him. That's how God works. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. That's also how Jonah knew that he was finished. Pay attention to that as well. In order to to have complete obedience, Jonah had to know that he was finished with the task that God had given him. He wasn't finished until he preached to everyone in the city. So he traversed the whole city to make sure it was done. didn't matter how long it took him. It only mattered that he was faithful to preach to everyone in the city and to practice complete obedience. The more complete and accurate your obedience, the more likely you are to see God work. And that's God's point. He wants you to see Him work, to trust Him enough for the outcome, to say yes to whatever He asks you to do. Sometimes we don't say yes, we hesitate, we lag, because we think we're not ready. That was not Jonah's problem, but sometimes it's our problem. We say, God, I'm not up for that task. God, I haven't been trained for that. God, I'm not sure that I'm right for that job. But God has put it on your heart and God has spoken to you through his word and God has asked you to trust him enough to be obedient so you can see the outcome. And you know that's what God's doing, don't you? Army Specialist Jeff Lewis. He was in the 82nd Airborne about 20 years ago. Stationed at Fort Bragg. And he received notification uh, that he had been airborne certified. Well, that makes sense. He's in the 82nd Airborne, right? The only problem with that notification was he was not taking his airborne certification training for three more weeks. And at the moment, he was sitting at a desk serving as a clerk. But he received the notification. He was airborne certified. And as a result, he was supposed to go up and make his first jump, his first parachute jump. So he did. He went, he joined the the group going up, he got on board the plane, he flew up. But he did, in the meantime, before he did that, he did, by the way, take the refresher course Even though he hadn't had the fresher course, he took the refresher course 
for airborne certification. So at least he'd know how to jump out of the airplane, right? So he goes up with the rest of them. Uh, it was a static line jump. They were hooked up. He goes out of the plane on his cue, and his chute tangles up right when it's pulled. But because he'd taken the refresher course, he was prepared. He knew how to kick himself out of the plane, floated down to safety, and had his first jump three weeks before he was airborne certified according to the Army. Now, the moral, is that, moral of that story is, please don't go jump out of an airplane and say, God told you to do it. The moral of that story is very simple. Sometimes God asks us to do what we don't think we're ready to do, but we are. And if God does that, if God puts something on your heart, and you say, God, I'm not really sure about this, well, get ready. Get training, get taught, get prepared, because God's not going to leave you alone until you turn away from your disobedience and come back to obedience. But God does want to give you a second chance at obedience. God wants you to see what he can do when you trust him and obey him for the next thing God's asking you to do. Get in his word. Get in prayer. God will put it on your heart, and you'll see God work through you. It could be this morning, you're in this room, you're at home online, and you know. I mean, God's already speaking to you. You know you've been disobedient. Maybe in these past weeks, you've been one of those that's prayed with me and you rededicated your life to Christ. You said, I want that second chance, going to start over. Good for you. Christians, listen, it all boils down to this. If God is telling you to start over, start over. Repent of your past, your sins, repent of your disobedience. Start over with him today. Make that fresh commitment. Let God lead you in his word to trust him more deeply so you'll obey him and you'll get to see him work through your life. Oh, what God can do with believers who just say, yeah, I'll trust you and I'll obey you. No more hesitation, no more lagging, no more waffling, no more negotiating, God. Tell me what to do and I trust you and I'll do it because I want to see what, what's on the other side of my obedience to him. Maybe you're in this room or at home and your first step of faith is to believe God loves you enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. Your first step of faith today would be to trust Christ as your Savior. Come into that loving relationship with him by repenting of your sins, asking him to forgive you, leaving the past behind and moving forward with your Savior. He'll save you today if you trust him for salvation in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to this moment, God, when you're at work here, you're at work in our hearts. You're speaking to us, God, here and at home. Believers, God, that, that you're showing us we've been disobedient to you. Father, you're showing us that. God, first we thank you for never letting go of us, of us, never letting go of us, never giving up on us, God, but loving us so much, too much, to let us go. God, how we thank you for that. So turn us back to you this morning. Turn us back to obedience. Bring us back home to you, God. Help us to start over, to leave that past behind. Show us in your word what you, you want us to do, God, and in trust and in faith, we'll step out, God. We'll step out. We'll, we'll serve you, God, so we can see what you have planned and what you want to do in our lives. And Father, there may be some that are right now in disobedience. And this morning for the first time, you've shown us, God, what you've been asking us to do. We need to turn back to you today. God, how I pray. We would ask your forgiveness, Father. We would turn everything over to you. We'd come back to you, God, to serve you faithfully. To serve you faithfully. 
And Father, maybe there's some in this room and at home. We're, we haven't been disobedient, God, but we're, we're wondering what the next thing is you want us to do. We want to be faithful to you. So Father, give us patience. Give us patience, God. Help us to remain obedient in all that you're asking us to do, everything you've already shown us to do and how you want us to live. Help us to be obedient in that, God. And then when you show us the next thing, we'll be ready. We'll be ready. We'll be prepared. We'll be ready to say yes and to move forward with you. And God, for those who have never taken that first step of faith to trust Christ as their Savior, God, how I pray today would be the day they pray this simple prayer, Father, to trust Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I've been disobedient to you all of my life. I haven't even regarded you as my creator, my God, and my Savior. Please forgive me for that. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. I surrender my life to you. Repent of my sins. Cleanse me, God, and forgive me. And give me a home in heaven. And Father, I pray by faith, God, we would all launch out on new adventures with you to serve you by faith and obedience starting today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.